everyone. Today we are in week three of our series, The Art of Neighboring. And our whole goal with this series is actually quite simple, that each and every single one of us would become better neighbors. In what's called the Great Commandment, Jesus tells us to love the Lord your God with everything that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of times, though, we only take this command to love our neighbors metaphorically, and we actually completely dismiss taking it literally. But think for a moment, what might change in our lives, in our community? What might change on our street or in our apartment complex, in our dormitories, if we actually took Jesus's words here literally? I mean, the possibilities for impact, they're astronomical. And so the question we have to ask ourselves now is, well, how? How do we neighbor in such a way where it will make a tangible, noticeable impact in the lives of those we live closest to? Well, that's where we're heading today. But before we dive into the how, I believe it's essential for us to first understand the why. Because our why determines our how. And so right off the bat, let me be very clear. Becoming a better neighbor is not an evangelism strategy. Loving our neighbors is not an effort to convert them to Christianity. No, our goal as a church, even in doing this series, is is not even to get more people to be a part of Cornerstone. If evangelism is our only motive for neighboring well, we won't be very good neighbors. And the reason I think Christians sometimes get the why wrong is because we prioritize the great commission over the great commandment. Here's what I mean by that. The great commandment, it's what Pastor Steve Ingold walked us through in week one of this series where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22 that we are to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. The Great Commission, on the other hand, it's found a few chapters later in Matthew 28, where Jesus says to his followers, go and make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Now, please, like, hear me out here. I love the Great Commission. I I believe living this out is an essential responsibility, not just for like pastors or church staff, but for every follower of Jesus. We're to make disciples. At the same time, I don't believe Jesus would have ever wanted us to live out the Great Commission, go and make disciples, at the expense of living out the Great Commandment, love your neighbors as yourself. But I fear that this is exactly what many Christians, even churches today, have done. You see, Jesus, he would say, love God and love your neighbors and then make disciples. But oftentimes we rank things as love God, make disciples, and then, you know, maybe if it's convenient, if we get around to it, we'll love our neighbors. We focus on the Great Commission without spending any time living out the Great Commandment. When Garrett and I lived in San Ramon, Hudson, our oldest boy, uh, was still pretty young. And I remember one day I was out for a walk with him and we ran into a neighbor that I had never met before. And so I stopped and I introduced myself and we started engaging in small talk. And after a minute or two, she asked me if she could give Hudson a present. And I I was a little surprised by that, right? Like this is my first child, I'm a little protective, but you know, I, I agreed, she's our neighbor, she seems friendly. And so she ran into her garage 
and came back with this little gift bag that had had a few pieces of candy in it and some trinket toys. And so uh, we give it to Hudson and I say thank you and goodbye and continue on our walk. And then when we got home later, I looked through the bag a little bit more and found that along with the candy and the little toys, there were also uh, Jesus tracks. Now, if you don't know what I'm referring to when I say Jesus tracks, let me fill you in. They are little pamphlets that some Christians pass out to complete strangers, mind you, in an attempt to share the gospel, the, the incredible story of Jesus and his great love for us. However, more often than not, these pamphlets, they can be like a bit blunt and aggressive. They're a little judgmental in tone, oftentimes asking questions like, hey, if you were to die today, are you sure you'll go to heaven? And this track in particular that had been given to my one and a half year old was a cartoon strip type story about a guy who did a lot of bad things in his life. And when he died, he goes to hell. And then there are all these illustrative pictures with fire and demons. And it basically ends with this, hey, if you don't want to go to hell when you die like this guy, you should know Jesus. I, I was shocked. I felt awkward by it, honestly. I mean, apparently this is what this lady does. She shares her faith without, without having any idea or even interest in knowing who it is she's actually talking to. I mean, if she had just taken the time to get to know me a little bit, to ask the question, what do you do for a living? Right? She would have found out I'm a pastor. And honestly, like, I believe she had good intentions. I don't think she was doing this maliciously, but I was still embarrassed and kind of offended because it felt like our whole interaction was based on this ulterior motive she had to share the gospel with me. Now, I realize that's an extreme example, but the point is still important to grasp. When it comes to loving our neighbors, our why will determine our how. If our why for loving our neighbors is to share our faith at all costs, regardless of the level of relationship we have with them or not, then, you know, our how, it'll be to do things like this lady did. But, you know, I believe our why, it's something bigger, something better than that. You see, we don't love our neighbors so we can convert them. We don't love our neighbors so we can tell them how sinful of a life they're living or in order to make them believe what we believe. No, the great commandment, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Like, period. The commandment ends there. So then what is our why? Well, to find that answer, let's study the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and grab your Bible or open your Bible app and turn there with me now. Uh, this passage that we're about to read, it's part of Jesus' most famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, which covers chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. And normally uh, at Cornerstone, we would read from the NIV translation of the Bible. But today I want to read from a translation called The Message. Uh, this translation, it uses more modern American English, and I just love how it poetically describes Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 5. Let's begin by looking at verse 13. Jesus says, let me tell you why you are here. That's perfect, right? That's what we're looking for, the why, and Jesus is about to tell us it. He says, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Man, I love the way that Jesus describes that. 
He says, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? We're here to be salt seasoning. That's our role. That's our purpose, to be salt. Now, being called salty uh, in our culture today, it's not really a compliment, right? I mean, if someone says like, ooh, you're salty, like they mean you have an attitude and you're getting upset over something little. And although, you know, I do know some Christians who are pretty good at being that kind of salty, it's definitely not what Jesus means. You see, what Jesus means um, for his followers and calling them salt is first, and, and probably the thing that comes to mind for most of us, is that salt enhances flavor. I love a good steak. I'm a Midwest girl and I've always loved my beef. And, and I love steak that is perfectly cooked, like medium rare. I often say I like my meat still mewing. And I get it. It's a weird thing to say. I don't know why I say it. It like grosses my husband out, but whatever. But man, if you have a nice piece of steak, it'll taste good even if you don't season it. But it will be exceptionally more delicious if you season it with salt in advance and you just let that salt like soak into the meat and do its thing. Man, when something has been salted correctly, it act, it's, it's actually not the salt that you taste, but it's the enhanced flavor of the food that has been salted. Salt makes the food around it better. And we're called to do the same. As Jesus followers, we're called to enhance, to influence, to bring out the best in the lives of our neighbors, not an attempt to fix them or change them. Like that's God's job. No, our role as salt is to get to know them, to have relationship with them, to learn and understand who they are, how they're, how they're wired so that we can support and enhance who it is that God has created them to be. The second thing salt does is something we're less familiar with because today in our culture, we have refrigerators. But in ancient times, they didn't. And so salt was used as a preservative to keep food from spoiling too quickly. And the same is true for Jesus followers. The life that we infuse onto our street, that the goodness, the kindness, the compassion that we infuse into the lives of our neighbors, it acts as a preservative. And the third primary use for salt uh, back in Jesus' day was as a healing agent. You see, in ancient times, salt, it was ingested to help with digestive issues. Um, steam from salt water was used to provide relief for respiratory symptoms. They even made salt-based ointments and balms to be used topically for skin disease and wounds to fight off infections. Salt healed. You know, when we first moved into the house that I grew up on, I was five years old, and there was one other family uh, with kids on our street. Every other house uh, on our street consisted of empty nesters in their 50s, 60s, or 70s. I mean, it was like, it was a great group of people. I loved our neighbors. They were so kind and so welcoming to our wild family of six kids. And as the years went on, though, several of the husbands um, of these couples that were our neighbors passed away. And it wasn't long before my parents had this idea to start a tradition of hosting a luncheon every year, uh, sometime during the week leading up to Valentine's Day. And this luncheon was um, for the widows who lived around us. 
they'd come over and my mom would play hostess and have all these fun games and prizes planned for them. Uh, the ladies would get to talk and connect with one another as us kids like dressed up in our nice clothes, served them a delicious meal and gave them dessert and everyone would always leave with some type of gift. And you know, it's now been 17 years and my family still does this tradition. And although the group has grown, it's expanded beyond just our neighbors, but, but the goal has remained the same. To provide a space, maybe a moment where those ladies, they can feel loved and they can feel cared for and even experience healing during a time when the loss of their spouse is magnified during a time when their loneliness may feel greater. Church, I don't know of anything that would be more loving to our neighbors in a time when there's so much pain in our society, so much hurt, so much tension and division than if Christians, if what we were most known for was being like a healing balm in our communities. Jesus says, you are salt. But he doesn't end with that. Look at verse 14. He continues on and says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. You are light. Light does a few different things, doesn't it? Uh, light illuminates darkness. It provides clarity and direction. It's a lot easier to walk through a space that you're unfamiliar with when the lights are on than when they're off. Light brings comfort. It brings security. I have two young boys and not once have I ever been woken up in the middle of the night by them yelling for me and I go into their room and they say, mom, 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 can you turn off the light? I'm scared. No, right? It's the opposite. Mom, I'm scared. I, I, I can't see. I don't know what's going on. Turn on the light. Perhaps the most important characteristic of light is that it provides hope. I mean, it's why you'll hear people say, oh, I can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. The tunnel, right, it represents the darkness that's all around them. Their circumstances, it's unsettling, it's unfamiliar, it's overwhelming. But they say, hey, I'm holding on to that glimmer of light. I'm keeping my eyes fixed there because that is what gives me hope. It gives me strength to keep going on. Cornerstone, if we are being light to those around us, to our neighbors, that means we should be some of the most hope-filled people in our neighborhoods, right? Here's a question that I have been reflecting on and wrestling with this week. When people interact with me, is hopeful a word they'd use to describe me? That's a tough one to think about, right? When people interact with me on a daily basis, is hopeful a word they would use to describe me? I don't think so. I mean, they may use the word overwhelmed, frustrated, lacking patience, stressed out, but probably not hopeful. Now, it's important to remember that True hope, like God-rooted hope, is not just this positive outlook, right, or optimistic thinking. It's like what I talked about last month in our Anchored series. It's not a hopefulness that is naive to or ignores the pain and the tensions that we face in our lives and in the world today. No, it's honest. 
It's real, right? But it's still grounded in the hope of who God is, the truth of who he is, his goodness and his unconditional love for us, like regardless of the circumstances we're currently walking through. Jesus has given us as his followers the purpose of displaying this light, displaying this hope to everyone around him. It's a, to, around us. It's a hope that can only be found in him. I hope you realize that you don't live on the street you live on by accident. It's not a coincidence. God has positioned you exactly where you are with the specific neighbors that you have so that through the ways you love them, you can be light. You can be a beacon of hope. Jesus continues on by saying this. He says, God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine, shine. Church, God is not absent in this season we're walking through. You know, just because the buildings of the church are closed does not mean the church is any less open. Just because following Jesus, it looks completely different today than it did six months ago. That does not mean our purpose as followers of Jesus has changed. We are salt. We are light. That is still true of us. God has intentionally placed us on a light stand in our communities so that we can shine. And then look at how this ends. Jesus says, keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous father in heaven. You see, our why for loving our neighbors is not so we can convert them, but simply to live out the purpose Jesus has given us, to be salt and to be light in their lives. And people don't want to be told about Jesus. They want to see Jesus. They want to experience him. And they get that through us. When we love those around us, people will see an irresistible Jesus. As Jesus said, they'll be prompted to open up to God because he is so good and he is so generous. It doesn't have to be complicated. We just have to be salt and light. And so now that we know our why, let's, let's wrap things up by talking about the how. Like practically speaking, how do we go about being a good neighbor to those around us? Well, every single one of our neighbors actually fits into one of three categories. They're either a stranger, an acquaintance, or we have some type of growing uh, level of relationship with them a stranger, an acquaintance, or we have some type of growing relationship with them. And in week one of this series, a pastor, Steve Ingold, he challenged each of us to do this block map exercise. I have mine right here, uh, where you identify the eight households closest to you, and then you write down their names and their basic info, and, and finally more significant details about them. 
And like the, the, the type A personality in me loved this because I live on a court and there's nine houses. And so it's literally me and eight other houses. I'm like, yes, easy. But man, did you do this? Like how was that experience for you? Good, bad, you'd rather not talk about it. Garrett and I, we felt like super confident with the first part. Okay, writing down their names, we felt good. But then like it quickly went down the hill after that. But man, if you haven't done this yet, you still can. You can find this block map um, on our website, uh, on our neighboring page for this series. And I, I hope you, you print this out this week and do it because this exercise, it helps us identify which of these three categories, stranger, acquaintance, or relationship, each of our neighbors fall into. And I realize it may sound like weird to categorize like your neighbors like this, but I actually believe it's crucial to define where we really stand with our neighbors so that we can know what to do next, right? And this stranger acquaintance relationship framework, it will, it will help prompt practical steps that we can take to make real progress in loving our neighbors well. And so this week, spend some time looking through your block map. Garen and I have this on our fridge so we see it every day and we're constantly reminded of this. And as you spend time looking at this, think through which category each each neighbor falls into, stranger, acquaintance, or relationship. And for any neighbor that would fall into the stranger category, well, here's a practical action step. Your action step in being a good neighbor this week is simply learn their names. Learn their names. Knowing someone's name is one, is one of the things that move them from being a stranger to an acquaintance. I mean, yeah, you may have neighbors that you see occasionally, you wave to them in the car, maybe you even know a few details about them or their life, but if you don't know their name, they're still a stranger to you. Learn their names. This is the first and easiest step you can take in becoming a better neighbor. This is what will move them from stranger to acquaintance. But you know what? It doesn't stop there, right? Jesus didn't call us to become acquaintances with our neighbors. No, he called us to love them. And so that means we have to have an actual relationship with them. But you see, moving from the acquaintance category to the relationship category, it's not a simple one-step process like moving from stranger to acquaintances, right? This step, it's more challenging because you can't program relationships. They're not like this simple formula. However, at the same time, there are absolutely things we can do in order to deepen our connection with the neighbors that we're acquaintances with. And one way we can do that is through intentional interaction. Create space for intentional interactions with your neighbors to take place. These could be spontaneous interactions or planned ones. You know, I've been able to interact with my neighbors more over the past few months of shelter in place than I had during the entire three years we've lived in that house combined. And that's because not only are we home more, right, but all of our neighbors are home more as well. And so there's more opportunity for, for the spontaneous interaction to take place. We live on a court, and so I'm outside with my boys just about every day as they're riding their scooters around that circle. We got a puppy during quarantine, and so now we're taking her out on regular walks around our block. We created a little sitting area in our front yard patio, and I'll, I'll, I'll just hang out out there and read or drink my coffee. All of these things put me in a place 
where I can have spontaneous yet intentional interactions with my neighbors. And sometimes I'm outside for like hours and I don't see any neighbors and other times I'm only there for a few minutes and I have a moment to connect and learn more about them, talk with them, even have a meaningful conversation. But these interactions, they can also be planned, right? Don't just rely on the spontaneous ones. Our communication, communications team here at Cornerstone, they put together this toolkit that you can find on our website with ideas for how to stay safely connected with your neighbors during COVID, right? Pl having a planned interaction with your neighbors, it might look different now than it did six months ago, but that doesn't mean we can't do it. Maybe you organize like a neighborhood sit-in where everyone brings their own chair and drinks and you hang out in a driveway or a front yard. Maybe you go for a walk with your neighbors or you plan a park date or you put together a virtual trivia night. Social distancing doesn't have to mean social isolation. Garrett and I, we've committed to planning an outdoor, socially distant social for our street sometime before the end of October while the weather's still nice. Like that's our goal, you can hold us to it. And another practical step that we can take to help move someone from the acquaintance category to the relationship one is to give something good. Give something good. Now, I'm not talking about like bribing your neighbors to be friends with you, right? That's desperate, like not helpful. That's not what I'm talking about. This isn't buying your neighbors like expensive or extravagant gifts. No, keep it simple, but keep it thoughtful. Maybe you bake them something homemade or you buy them something delicious if you don't trust your baking skills. Maybe it's just writing them an encouraging note or drawing chalk art on their sidewalk with your kids and leaving kind words. Maybe you door dash them dinner one night or, or put together a, a, a family movie night bucket with popcorn and candy. Maybe you give them a gift card to your local coffee shop. Like get creative, the possibilities are endless. The point is that a small gift given with like no strings attached, there's no agenda, it, it's a great way to just break down the walls that everyone, all of us naturally put up with people that we don't really know well. I mean, this small step, it can allow for deeper connections to be made with your neighbors. And then finally, for those neighbors that you do have relationship with, right? They're not in the stranger or, or the acquaintance category, but, uh, but you're building a growing relationship with them. One of the greatest ways you can be a loving neighbor to them, you can be salt and light to them, is just by listening to their story and sharing yours. You see, as you build relationship with your neighbors, as you open up, as they open up with you and share their story with you and you open up with them and you're vulnerable and share your story with them, there will be natural, like divinely appointed opportunities for you to talk about the Jesus that you love so much. As we live out the great commandment, it will lead to opportunities to live out the great commission. Like sharing your faith, it doesn't have to be forced or this weird, awkward, pressured situation. No, you just have to love your neighbors well. Be salt and light and trust God with the rest. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the light of the world. Jesus, you came into the world because you love us. And, and you are the light that we can find true life in. Lord, but you also have given us, your followers, the purpose of, of being a reflection 
of your light to our neighbors. Lord, you've given us a purpose of being salt, of, 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 of getting into their lives and enhancing their life, supporting them, providing hope for them that will lead them closer to you. God, we thank you that you are a loving God who loves us and you want us to love others well in return. Lord, so teach us how to do that in really tangible, practical ways. Give us creative ideas this week to love our neighbors in greater ways right where we're at. We love you, God, and we pray these things in the mighty and amazing name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.